Happy New Year and welcome to the fifth episode of Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight this year, we'll be braving Room 106, the house of pain that contains all the new planning information from recent weeks and extracting the key things you need to know. But this time, because of the Christmas holidays, there's been a break of more than a month. Goodness only knows what's been accumulating in there since our last visit. Doesn't bear thinking about. So, coming up, the key news stories of the past month or so and why they might be important for you. We explore the reports of increasing complaints among council planning officers about their working conditions and what this means for council's planning performance. We also look at research that suggests more than 50 councils could lose planning control for failing the government's housing delivery test. And we examine the decision to make permanent, previously temporary, permitted development rights that allow markets to be held outdoors and for hospitality businesses to put up marquees on their land without requiring a planning application. I'll also be briefly summarising a few other key developments from the past few weeks. And in the deep dive section, we'll be talking to David Blackman, one of our regular correspondents, about why a house builder won permission for a big housing scheme in one place, thanks to its road infrastructure offer, and saw permission for another large scheme refused for a similar reason. And by the end of the show, you should know enough about planning current affairs to be an early favourite to win 2022's Office Christmas Quiz. Absolutely. So, shall we go in? Ah, after you. Well, here we are again in room 106, the vault which gathers all new planning information. You can tell no one's been in here for a while. I'm knee-deep in paper. I've got the New Year's Honours list, QC appointments for planning barristers, and a planning contravention notice for Jeremy Clarkson. Ah, yes. People can read about all that on planningresource.co.uk. What really stood out for you in the past month or so? Well, last month, a blog by um, private sector planner Sam Stafford called the Fifty Shades of Planning blog posted a series of submissions sent in by planning officers on the issue of low morale among local authority planning officers. And many of these submissions paint a very bleak picture. In particular, they highlight the abuse that um, planning officers receive from members of the public and from planning agents. They complain about burnout as a result of long working hours. And they also note that social media is a problem. One of the submissions describes social media as having had a terrible effect on them. And there are frequent accusations on social media about council planning officers. They also say that unpaid overtime is now the norm, with many officers working late into the evening and at weekends. So the issue of council planning teams being overstretched has obviously long been an issue. But the issue of working conditions among local authority planning officers seems to have become a really huge issue in the past year. You may remember that our columnist Katrina Riddell, who's the uh, strategic planning lead at the Planning Officers Society, highlighted this problem in a column in late November, and that got a huge amount of interest from our readers. So why do the respondents to this survey think this is happening? Well, they're blaming a lack of resources and ever-increasing workloads. And interestingly, they're also pinpointed social media as being a particular problem. And they're saying there are, you know, plenty of officers have been subject to false accusations of wrongdoing with personal accusations against officers and that's really um, undermining their morale. Okay, and this is this is happening at a time when um, all of this is affecting council planning performance, which we know is being complained about by um, by developers at the moment, and we know is um, 
uh, and we know is actually you know on some government measures is declining well one respondent said that um they have a backlog of over 400 applications awaiting determination and a similar number of enforcement complaints and that if they worked every day every hour in the day they couldn't get through all the work and as you say this is backed up by what the the private sector are saying developers are complaining about lengthening delays and getting applications processed and the home, the home builders federation told us that um all their members were saying it's an absolute nightmare at the moment and in our recently published planning consultancy survey, 95% of respondents agreed that a lack of resources for local planning authorities is a major constraint on local plan production and timely decisions on planning application. Okay, so that 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 huge proportion of private sector people saying that a lack of resources in local authorities is a problem, is government aware of the problem? Yes, it seems to be. Um, so the planning white paper published in the summer of 2020, you may remember that the the government promised to develop a comprehensive resources and skills strategy for the planning sector alongside its proposed changes to the planning system. But we're a year and a half on and we've had no um, evidence of this strategy being produced. Um, I mean, last summer, the housing minister recommitted the government to undertaking a, a review of local authority planning resources. But that was before the uh, new Secretary of State, Michael Gove, took over. So it seems like progress is going to be um, is going to have to wait until the government has finalised its changes to the planning system. OK, well, that's really interesting. Um, what, what else caught your eye over the last few weeks? Um, well, so there's some very interesting research came out last week from the um, property consultancy Savills from their planning team on the likely impact of the housing delivery test. Um, so the housing delivery test is the annual test that's published by the government, which compares the number of net homes delivered over the previous three financial years to the number of homes required over the same period. And councils that deliver less than 95% of their requirement are penalised. Um, Savile's research estimates the number of local authorities that have failed the delivery test by coming under 95% and those that face the most severe penalty, which is delivering less than 75% of their requirements. And those councils would face the National Planning Policy Framework's presumption in favour of sustainable development. Which essentially means, r- remind me, that the that the council loses a degree of planning control. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It means their local housing supply policies are rendered out of date and they're more susceptible to speculative planning applications from developers. Okay. And so this is, we haven't had the results of this year's housing delivery test, but Savills has seen the housing delivery data, has it, and uh, and is, is making forecasts on on that basis. Yes, that's right. So the, the test results are meant to come out every November, but this year, as with last year, they've been delayed and it's, it's looking like they'll probably come out this month or next month, as they have done in previous years. Um, so Savills have based it on um, the government's net additional dwellings data, which was published in November, and that shows the number of new homes that are created in, in various local authorities, various local authority areas. Okay, and the housing delivery test results this year are being adjusted to factor in COVID factors. Is that is that right? Yes. So the government has um, because said because of the impact on um, house delivery of COVID in mid twenty twenty, where we saw a big drop in um, new homes being built because of the um, the first lockdown. The housing minister announced in September that this year's test would be adjusted. And so the government, you may remember last year, the government introduced a, 
a one-month reduction in the housing requirement figure for 2019-20 because of the impact of COVID. So that was for March 2020. So what the housing minister said in September was that the government would now introduce a four-month reduction in the housing requirement figure for 2020-21, and which equates to a third of the whole year. So what are the what are what are the researchers found? They found, or they're estimating that 88 local authorities are likely to fail the 2021 test, which equates to 29% of all English local authorities. And of these 88, um, 51 are going to face the uh, MPPF's presumption in favour of sustainable development, which, as we've talked about, is the most severe sanction they face. And leaves them open to speculative development. Yeah. Okay. But despite the test being adapted to be a bit more forgiving than it would have been otherwise, we're still seeing almost as many authorities facing losing planning control this year as did last year. Yes, it's not far off. It's slightly less. So last year, we the final test results saw 107 councils penalised by coming under the 95% threshold. And of these, 55 face the presumption penalty. Um. So are these all councils that at the moment don't face the presumption in favour of sustainable development? Well, we're not sure, but we know from last year's results that many of the councils that were subject to the presumption penalty last year were already subject to it because they lacked a five-year housing land supply. So it seems likely that's going to be the case again this year. So many of them would have already faced the presumption, but some of them are likely to be places that didn't already face the presumption. Yes, that's right. That was the pattern last year. Okay, well, we, we await the final results from from, from the government with, with interest, but it, it certainly sounds like a few authorities could have their uh, planning positions uh, weakened by, uh, by this year's results. So, uh, John, what was your third story? Okay, so the third story I've picked out is about the temporary measures that were introduced following the um, the COVID-19 pandemic. And two of them have been made permanent by the government, despite the um, its own heritage advisor, Historic England, warning against such a move. So last year, the government introduced measures to allow markets to be held outdoors and for hospitality businesses to put up marquees on their land without requiring a planning application. And these were introduced in response to um, the pandemic and they aim to boost high streets and small businesses which were suffering at the time due to the lockdown conditions. And there are a number, of, there are a whole range of short-term changes to the planning system introduced around that time. But just before Christmas, ministers announced that these changes would be made permanent so that markets could be held by or on behalf of councils for unlimited number of days. And the second right would allow pubs, cafes and restaurants to put up a, a movable structure for unlimited number of days without needing a planning application. OK, so it, it, it's not surprisingly supported by local businesses. And am I right in thinking that Historic England and, and local authorities uh, you know, didn't necessarily set their faces against it, but said that they wanted to see how this panned out for a bit longer before this should be turned into a uh, into a permanent right and had some concerns about turning it into a permanent right. Yes. So on the PD right, uh, allowing movable structures to be put up, Historic England said in its um, consultation response on the um, movable structures PD right that it would welcome efforts to collect further evidence 
to aid understanding of potential impacts before um, the right should be made permanent. And then the Local Government Association in its consultation response on the markets PD right said it didn't support the move to make it permanent because the impacts of the pandemic had not been yet fully understood. Is this a sort of is there a sort of wider pattern of this of of temporary planning related measures being introduced during the pandemic and um and then being made permanent? Yeah, there's been so the government announced a whole range of measures in response to a whole a range of um mostly relaxation of um planning rules in response to COVID-19. Um, a lot of them were to make it easier for hospitality businesses and some of them that they've extended further or made permanent. So one example is uh, rules allowing businesses to serve the public outdoors, which have been which in March the former housing housing secretary Robert Jenrick said would be extended by a further year, and he was keen to make rules that made it easier to sell takeaways by pubs and restaurants. Uh, he wanted to make that permanent, but other measures are not being extended. So some of our readers may remember that councils were relieved of their duty to provide hard copies of local plan documents for inspection in their offices. But in November, the chief planner said this relaxation would expire by the end of last year. And most notoriously, the government introduced new rules allowing council meetings, including planning committees, to take place virtually. But those rules came to an end last May. And despite a legal challenge, the government hasn't um, hasn't resurrected them. OK, and there's been some renewed calls, I think, in the last few weeks for, for, um, for, for councils to be able to return to holding virtual planning meetings with COVID concerns higher than they than they were in the autumn. Yes, that's right. Including a, a call from Jackie Weaver of the uh, infamous um, Handforth Parish Council meeting. Yeah, she has she has good cause to to uh, to be grateful for for virtual meetings. She does indeed. Yeah. Fantastic, John. That's great. Um, anything else? Just very briefly, that people need to be aware of from the last few weeks, big stories that they could perhaps you know go to our site and find out a bit more about. Yes, so some of the big stories that we've um, covered from the festive periods, including the housing department updating and expanding its planning propriety guidance for ministers, um, and this includes guidance on how representations uh, should be made to ministers by third parties to avoid any appearance of bias. And um, this this updating of this guidance was made by the former Housing Secretary Robert Jenrick um, following the controversial Westbury Printworks approval last year, which was overturned in the High Court due to apparent bias. So we'll have to look at whether that would in future allow uh, Conservative Party donors to text the minister um, asking for updates on the, on the, uh, on, on, on the progress of an application. Yes, I would imagine that kind of thing would be discouraged. Yeah. Um, so another big story is um, the High Court judgment last autumn addressed the question of whether running a business from home required planning permission. And the judge at the time said the guidance on when planning permission should be required was potentially misleading. So at the start of January, the government announced that it removed that paragraph. Okay, and I guess people can find out a bit more about that and what its implications might be um, on on our site. Yeah, and another story that's worth looking at is um, the government's published a model Section 106 agreement for its new flagship first homes policy, which came into full effect. So the policy came into full effect over the Christmas break, 
Um, and this introduces a new form of discounted market housing for first-time buyers, which is to be delivered via developer contributions. And these um, these model clauses the government has published should be used by local authorities and developers when they're preparing Section 106 legal agreements. Fantastic, John. Thanks very much for that um, for that sort of uh, uh, run through of, of of all the key stuff. Now, unfortunately, I'm going to have to leave you because now it's time for this week's deep dive. Before Christmas, we reported on two large housing schemes from the same developer in different places, one of which was turned down because of council concerns about provision of necessary road infrastructure, and the other of which was accepted because the authority was satisfied by the promised associated road infrastructure. So to understand what differentiated the two schemes and what the implications might be, I need to find, somewhere in the depths of Room 106, David Blackman, who's been covering this for us. Dear me, it's gloomy in here, especially since they took down the Christmas decorations. But I think I can discern a figure in the darkness. David, good to see you. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you, Richard. Well, I, I hope you've spent the uh, the last few weeks in, in slightly more cheerful surroundings than these. <laughs> Indeed. I, I'm glad to hear it. Now, you've been looking at these two, these two schemes and the different outcomes. Yes. Tell us about the first scheme. Um, well, the first scheme was a scheme uh, for, I think it was about a total of 1,100 homes just outside Preston, um, which is determined by South Ribble Council. It's for a site that was allocated in South Ribble's local plan, but um, the scheme is being promoted by Taylor Wimpy with the support of Homes England. Um, but at the beginning of the very end of November, the council turned down the scheme and, and their concerns were really about, you know, primarily about the infrastructure provision. OK, so what, what do we know about the road infrastructure that the local plan uh, inspector had said would be necessary in order to make the site suitable for local development? I mean, bearing yeah. in mind it was allocated in the local plan. So, yes, yeah, so it was allocated in the local plan and the inspector, I think it was about uh, 2015, 2016, um, he said that the site required a what he described as a cross-borough link road. Um, and that wouldn't just be serving this site, but I, I, I presume it would be serving serving other part other parts of the borough as well. Um, but the problem was that, well, Taylor Wimpy uh, or the applicants came up with a proposal for what they termed a spine road, um, but the but the council didn't feel this had sort of gone. It wasn't quite sufficient for what they what what they thought was specif specified in the local plan inspector's report. So it wasn't as if the developers didn't have a plan to provide the necessary road infrastructure, but is it clear why the council, you know, was it that they didn't like the proposal or was it that they didn't think the proposal would actually, would definitely be delivered? I think it was the latter. What, they, what it really came down was the council's, I suppose, lack of confidence that there was sufficient commitment by the developers to deliver the road in full okay in a way that wouldn't fuel congestion on the on the existing road network okay so is this scheme do you think this scheme is now dead because of this refusal or, or and what do you think is going to happen next well they thought that really 
the developer should have offered a, a firmer commitment and provided the council with, with more reassurance. Clearly, the developer's agents are considering their options at the moment. Okay, so it's possible that they may come back with, um, with, a, with a new proposal. Possible, yes. Um, I think the, there was a feeling amongst the experts that um, the council is, on a pretty, is, is in a pretty strong position, given, okay. given, given the policy position set out in the, in the local plan. Okay. And tell us about the scheme that was accepted. What does that involve? So, yes, happier news on the other side of the Pennines for, um, for Taylor Wimpy. So here was a scheme for, I believe it was about 800 homes, um, part of a wider area which is being developed to the east of Leeds. Um, this parcel of land, which is what they define as a quadrant within this, this bigger piece of land, um, this parcel of land was being brought forward by Taylor Wimpy and Persimmon um, for about 800 homes. And the interesting thing about this is that it was tied into a roof tax that Leeds Council had drawn up to help fund the development of an orbital link road around the east part of Leeds. Okay, that's that, that, that's interesting. So this orbital road is a is a um, is is not directly connected to the site. It's more to do with the site being considered likely to generate more traffic in that part of Leeds, and the orbital road is generally intended to address traffic levels in that part of Leeds. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. I think the feeling was that, and even the even the applicants' agents were of the opinion that um, unless this was developed, it would have led to too high levels of congestion on the surrounding road network. Okay, and you refer to a roof tax. Can you, can you tell us what that what that what that is and what what it means? Well, essentially, um, it's a it's a it's a form of section one hundred and six, but it's a form of section one hundred and six where the and I think there's been similar roof taxes developed in places like Milton Keynes and so on. But the idea is that each dwelling which is developed in this in, in this particular part, in this particular quadrant, pays a contribution towards the eventual costs of the of the orbital road. But the orbital road is, as I understand, it's supposed to be complete quite yep. soon. Yeah. Is it that they used the sort of promise of this money coming in from the roof tax to borrow against it to fund the exactly. road? Exactly. Yes. So they've already borrowed they've already borrowed up front, or Leeds Council has already borrowed up front to build the road which I think comes to about a cost of estimated cost of, of about £100 million. And then it's recouping the money from the developers in these, it, who, are develop, who are bringing forward these various parcels of land. OK. And, and reading your piece, um, there's lots of, um, you know, lots of sort of praise for uh, the council and the developers for, for coming <clears> up with this scheme. But is this a straightforward um, a sort of solution for other places or would, do some people see this as a risky solution? Um, I think that the it's seen as as a solution. Um, much will depend upon the capacity of the local authority in question. I think, and I think here it sort of really comes down to financial issues rather than strict planning issues. And and some local authorities will have the capacity to be able to do this kind of borrowing. Some won't. I mean, Leeds is at Leeds is one of the one of the core city councils. It has a lot of it. It has a lot of resources. Um, from the council's point of view. This is a risky endeavour. Um, mm. The housing may not come. They, you know, if they build it, to paraphrase, it won't necessarily come. Yes, yeah. But very interesting to see another example of, of this because, as you say, the, the Milton Keynes one has been poured over uh, for many years, and I'm sure there have been other examples, but mm. um, it's, they're still sort of uh, not common enough to be just be routine, are they? No, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. But the agents, you know, the the the, the agents' opinion was that this is a this was really key to making this housing development happen here. Um, yeah. 
but it's also a long-term game. He said that this, you know, the proposals for the Link Road have been talked about for about 30 years. Right. So <laughs> this is very much a long-term game. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, David. Is there anything else you, you think in terms of sort of um, lessons from, uh, from, from, from these two decisions that, that people will be interested in? Um, one lesson from it is that local authorities are getting more robust about insisting upon infrastructure before development happens. And this is perhaps the sort of, you know, the, 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 the wider lesson from, from these two schemes. And that all, the, the, there is certainly a lot of political uh, rhetoric around that, isn't there? There is the, Absolutely. Um, um, the, 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 the part of the Conservative manifesto was, mm. um, was uh, you know, urged the, um, uh, uh, you know, or, or promised to ensure that uh, infrastructure was in place before, before, um, uh, before housing was built. Yes. And, um, and uh and and Michael Gove has been talking about the ability to get a bigger contribution from from developers towards um mitigating the impacts of their schemes yeah if he ever yeah. gets out of the lift <laughs> yes so just you better just explain that for a for a second <laughs> uh, just in case people are uh, uh, it's faded in people's memories oh i see but, right okay yeah. well the the the, the, the yeah when we're when we're when we're chatting when we're chatting David, of course uh, famously uh, michael gove got stuck in a lift for half an hour when he was due to be on the today program it's a uh, it's a bonus for the new year sort of diary column right yeah. <laughs> yeah brilliant david thank you very much okay i'll leave you sifting through some of the other documents in here but uh, maybe see you on a future visit yes pleasure to see you richard likewise david bye 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 now Right, now to find John again so he can select his reader's choice, the apparently inconsequential but widely read article. Ah, there he is. Hello, Richard. Hi, John. So my um, reader's choice story this week is about Jeremy Clarkson, the uh, former Top Gear host who's run into trouble with his local planning officers. That was sort of predictable, I'm I'm thinking. (laughs) Yeah, he does have a bit of a, a history of this kind of thing. Um, according to the local paper, the Oxford Mail, he's been served with a planning contravention notice by West Oxfordshire District Council after it came to their attention that his farm shop in Shipping Norton had been selling goods and produce not allowed under the original planning conditions. And following that, the um, Daily Mail has also reported that um, Clarkson has submitted a planning application to open a 70-space car park and 60-seater cafe at his farm. But following an angry backlash from local residents who were concerned about increased traffic in the village, planning officers have recommended that permission should be refused when it goes to committee. Okay, very interesting. Well, that that, that one I, I'm sure is going to is, is is going to run and run. Yes, I'm sure it will. Fantastic. I think our work is done. But let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions. <sighs> Great. That's another week summarised. Yes, we'll be back in two weeks to give you another update on the key things happening in the sector. Our thanks to producer Adi Bambala from Rethink Audio. And uh, in the meantime, before our next podcast, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis, specialist bulletins and our quarterly print magazine, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.